Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, we're in the new year, into 2021. Goodbye with 2020. And uh, how did you bring in the new year? Thank God, man. I mean, literally, that, that just put that year behind us, man. Just, like, throw it in a dumpster, light it on fire, and just forget about it, you know? <laughs> like... It was one to forget completely. I mean, I, I just, mostly like everybody else, you know, I'm pretty sure you probably did the same thing, like try to do everything, social distancing, try to do it online virtually with family and everything as best as possible. Or if you have like a bubble already going, um, that's great. But at the same time, it's just keeping it low key, keeping it quiet, played a few games with my family over Zoom. So had that going for me. And I hope uh, that you rung in the new year very, uh, very smoothly as well with you and your family. Yeah, man, it was uh, it was a little different. Like we obviously we haven't uh, we haven't done a show in a couple weeks now, and uh, mm-hmm. just took the took the holidays off for the first year of the pod. But um, yeah. you know, it was it was different. It was the first year <clears throat> that uh, my wife and I have been together that we haven't spent it with her extended family. Um, so that was that was a little weird. Obviously, there's two there's two babies in the family now, so. <laughs> we wanted to get them together, but that was uh, something that we weren't uh, worth. We didn't see it worth risking. Yeah. Um, so you know, we just saw her parents and uh, saw my parents, and that was it. And uh, yeah, I was quiet. It was a quiet uh, Christmas, quiet New Year's. Um, you know, obviously watched the ball drop in in, in New York, and and um, they had a, they had an interesting setup there. But yeah, yeah it was just uh, it was a, it was a different year, and you know what. Goodbye with the old and in with the new, and let's uh, let's start the new year off on the right foot, and that's all I'm looking forward to doing. Yeah, watching that New Year's Eve bash with Andy Cohen and uh, Anderson Cooper, that's just so weird not seeing people in the background gathered around celebrating, and you just see, I mean, obviously they did a terrific job hosting it, but it's just like, man, amazing what, like, people can do like you have the uh, like the interactions the cutaways and the shots and everything to get everyone's reaction and it's there's nothing you know it was completely different yeah it was just like everything i mean it it was like everything this year where it was just you know something wasn't right about Mm -hmm. how everything went down it just i mean that's kind of the world we're living in at this point uh but uh good news is vaccines are out there whether yes. you're a anti-vaxxer or not, uh, you know, it, it's it's good news for those that are interested in getting it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hopefully moving forward, we can put this all behind us, get rid of the pandemic and start moving forward in, in getting back into sports, which we're doing with episode 21, as I mentioned, yes. uh, of the pod. And, man, a lot of news over those two weeks that we were off. Um, mm-hmm. I, obviously, we're not going to get into detail with every single thing that happened, but... Uh, we want to start off with the NHL. We'll get into the World Juniors a little bit, and we have a fantastic guest this episode. We'll mention him off the bat. Uh, the Hockey News' um, uh, Stephen Ellis is coming yes. on. Um, and uh, what an interview that was. A lot of information. Mm-hmm. Fantastic guy. Uh, fellow Ogvillian. Um, 
uh, and just just a stand-up guy for coming on and doing that with us, uh, you know, yeah. while covering the World Juniors and doing his stick drawings as we get into with him as well. So great insight. Um, great drawings and of course like you said i mean if you if you want to give him a follow online right now go right ahead because i mean he has great content um as does everybody else at the hockey news but you know what everybody loves his stick drawings man it's the talk of the town absolutely and uh yeah just uh, just a stand-up guy and like i said we'll get into that interview a little bit later on the show but mm-hmm. um first off let's jump into the nhl news First off, fantastic news for the Canadian cities. It looks as though each of the Canadian teams will be able to play in their province, their respective province. Obviously, there will be some more uh, COVID protocols put in place for these guys, um, as demanded by it by the provincial uh, leaders. But you know, to have the Canadian teams play in their cities, to have these players play at home, um, you know, it's just a, it. it for me, it's it's going to be a good thing to see. Uh, obviously, the travel is going to be interesting to see how that works. We've seen with the World Juniors that the bubble worked once again. Um, obviously, no COVID tests, uh, positive tests since the tournament got started. That mm-hmm. said, we're into a new year. We're going to have a little bit of travel divisionally with the NHL teams. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we all got like an early Christmas present on Christmas Eve when um the nhl pr twitter account came out with a statement from bill daly saying that they've been in constant contact with every public health association from the pro, uh, provinces and they have been aligned and they're in agreement to possibly getting something started and that's really great news but at the same time we heard later on that you know were they willing to go and sign off i mean uh, we heard that alberta became the first province to sign off on games to be played so that's that's a good step. We just need to wait word on every and on uh, other provinces. I'm I'm hoping it will go in the right direction. I mean, even with the travel and them breaking the 14 day quarantine, which I I mean, I'm a stickler for the rules. We should all abide it. But if there's this is a case where you know they need to get it done quick. You got the games. You got practices. If they go straight to their hotel room, isolate. Don't do anything. Only leave their hotels for the game. If this is their bubble system or some of the rules and changes that they're going to be doing a lot of it with increased testing, then I, I'm pretty sure it's going to work. The NHL put the safety of their players first um, in regards to getting everything organized in the bubble. And I think they have a chance to do that now. Yeah, there were tests before the camps and uh, training um, the before they even went into the bubble system. Same thing with the World Juniors. And again, I was a little skeptical about that. But you know what? It can be done if everybody hunkers down and just follows the rules to a T. It's going to be fine. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing to remember, too, is that it's not going to be for a full 82-game season. Like, you're talking about 56-game season, all compacted into, you know same amount of months but uh they're gonna they're gonna try and drive this through quickly and hopefully get the season under wraps and um you know if they can do that i think uh i think you know we'll be in a good spot to to kind of get fans back into the buildings eventually and start moving forward with this but the big thing is to make sure that we can kick off the 2021 or sorry the 2020 2021 season um and and just do it properly and and make sure that everybody stays safe if we're not doing it where it's you know, safe for management, safe for, for coaching staff, safe for mm-hmm. players. 
then, you know, what's the point in getting it done? Um, but at the end of the day, as you mentioned, hopefully we can get everything kind of figured out. Uh, and, and we'll, we'll have hockey. Well, obviously we'll have hockey starting January 13th. It's just a matter of where it's going to be played. Yeah. And I know we talked about this before about like the Canadian teams or whatever, trying to like go and play in the U S and have a bubble system in the U S. I mean, again, comparing this to like the blue Jays and the Toronto Raptors, it's a little different because you only had one Canadian team, right? You now got multiple ones. So it's better to just create your own bubble in your own province or in the or in our own country basically instead of going over crossing over with only one team and having to isolate and quarantine and make our own little bubble there right so the fact that they're creating all these robust measures and you know trying to like lower the risk of possibly getting infected i mean there's always optimism in this and we've seen it in the past and i'm just hoping that I'm just hoping we get hockey, man, because let's face it, this Canadian division, honestly, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for this? Because I'm pretty sure right now every single Canadian team is going to hate each other. Oh, absolutely. And think about the players that you have in this division right now. Joe Thornton, Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, Corey Perry, um, Wayne Simmons. Uh, um, Matthew Tichuk, Brady Tichuk, Bo Horvat, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. Like, listen to these players. I mean, even yeah. if you go to Ottawa, the potential that you have Tim Stutzel there. Like, oh, God, yeah. Like, you're talking about some legitimate stars. And this this is one division. Each team's going to play each other about nine or ten times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just going to be unbelievable to watch. Uh, it's going to be great hockey. I think they're going to drive home some new new uh, um, some new rivalries, which will be fantastic for the yeah. uh, for the league al- alone. Um, and they might have to look at redoing the schedule once we get back to normalcy and and try and find a way for Canadian teams to play more than twice a year. Have you seen the movie Goon? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay, so you so you know so you know what happens in like the first 10, 15 minutes where they're at a game, and it's like two minutes in, there's a massive line brawl, right? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm thinking is going to happen if it's Toronto, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, Edmonton, and Calgary, Vancouver, Winnipeg, whatever have you. I think this is going to happen at this point right now because that would probably be absolutely hilarious to see. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think uh, it's just going to be, it's like we mentioned it, it's you're fighting for Canada's chance in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, it, it, It's becoming a, na- uh, a national thing rather than just, you know, a divisional thing. So mm-hmm. it, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to watch. Um, and obviously you mentioned Perry signing with the, the Montreal Canadians. There's a whole list of signings that we've missed over the last two weeks. So yes. I'm going to quickly run through. Um, obviously we'll, we'll uh, stop on a couple of the, the big names, uh, but uh, let's start it off and just run through every single one and, and we'll, we'll kind of get from there. So Arizona signed uh, Drake Kajula to his one year, $700,000 contract. Um, the Washington Capitals signed Connor Sheary to a one-year $735,000 contract. Tampa Bay, um, early Christmas gift for Eric Cernak and Jan Ruta. Cernak signed a three-year deal worth $8.85 million, while Ruta signed a two-year deal worth $2.6 million. Side note, I didn't realize Jan Ruta was already 30 years old. <laughs> 
Um, Mackenzie Blackwood signed with the New Jersey Devils, re-upped for three years at $8.4 million. The Nashville Predators bring back uh, Mikhail Granlund for one year, 3.75, and Eric Halla for one year, 1.75. The Montreal Canadiens signed Michael Frolik to a one year, $750,000. Casey Middlestat's back with Buffalo for one year, 874 and change. Um, Ryan Miller re-upped with Anaheim. Nice little backup for him. One year, $1 million contract. Uh, Tampa Bay and Anthony Sorelli cashed in. Three years, $14.4 yeah. What a deal for the 23-year-old coming off of Stanley Cup. One of the bigger um, signings. Yeah, one of the bigger signings. Obviously, we'll touch on that in a second. The Columbus Blue Jackets signed Michael Delzato to, I believe, a PTO. Um, I don't have the all the information on that one here. Um but the Edmonton Oilers signed Slater Kukuk to a one-year $850,000 contract. Chicago signed Carl Soderberg, nice little veteran presence, one-year, $1 million. Uh, Tim Stutzla signed his entry-level contract, three-year entry-level contract with the Ottawa Senators, as we mentioned. Uh, we'll get into a little bit later in the show, the World Juniors. Germany knocked out, but he'll be headed to Ottawa for training camp, and that's mm-hmm. an exciting move for the Ottawa Senators. Corey Perry signed a one-year $750,000 contract with Montreal. I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, Seth Jarvis signed his three-year entry-level deal with the Carolina Hurricanes. Andreas Athanasiu signed a one-year $1.2 million contract with the LA Kings. Ethan Bear re-upped with the Edmonton Oilers. Two years, $4 million. I like that signing. Ridley Grigg signed a three-year entry-level deal with the Ottawa Senators. So they're, they're grabbing all their prospects and signing them up. Big one here is Zidane Chara signed a one-year $795,000 contract with the Washington Capitals. Jamison Reese signed his three-year entry-level deal worth over $3 million with the Carolina Hurricanes. Derek Broussard signed a one-year deal with Arizona. Vince Dunn re-upped with the St. Louis Blues for one year, $1.875. Pierre-Luc Dubois, while there was rumors swirling about his future in Columbus, he signed mm-hmm. a two-year deal worth $10 million cashes in and then uh calgary signed uh, connor zari three-year entry-level deal and tristan robbins signed his three-year entry-level deal with the san jose sharks so after that rundown of two weeks of nhl signings <laughs> yeah what stands out to you peter from these uh these last couple of weeks two well i mean anthony uh, i mean anthony sorelli i mean he deserved the contract no matter what it's just right now, they still. I'm I'm just curious about their cap situation right now because I know they made a move. I know they went and made a trade after signing him to free up some of that cap space. But right now, I believe I think they're still over. So I think they may have to deal with you know one more move in order to get cap compliant because I, I their projected cap hit is now 97 million. But they're still way over. And even though Nikita Kucherov is injured and he's on the IR, that's a big contract. But they still got a lot left to move around right now because they're now in a greater cap situation than the Leafs because the Leafs are only, I believe, about, you know, slightly over a million and a bit, the 81.5 range. That's still a good deal for Anthony Sorelli. He deserves it against Stanley Cup champion. Um 
just an overall two-way threat, man. As a third, as a third-line center, and I think he's probably going to get more of an opportunity even in that position. Still, he's going to be heavily relied on no matter what. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, very surprising that it took this long to get a contract done, but now also the fact that he may want out. I mean, that does speculate where he could go. And this isn't the first time that it's happened in Columbus. It happened with Ryan Johansson, where they had another budding young star and they traded him away. So, I mean, it worked out for them because they got Seth Jones. But Zidane Chara, that's the biggest one for me, mainly because of the fact that I mean, and I'm pretty sure you saw this um, online at some point. The Boston Red Sox lost Mookie Betts. Huge loss for them. New England Patriots. I'm a Patriots fan. They lost Tom Brady. That one hurt. And now they lose a Dano Chara. So they lose three basic, basically all three leaders of their three major sports teams gone. And I think the only one that's left is maybe the Boston Celtics. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they had any major changes. But this is how great Washington is right now. Their depth is really good. And Chara could fit in as a 7-8 D-man coming in periodically. But this hurts so much more for the Bruins. You're already down Marshawn and Pasternak to start the season. Kevin Millar is also on to LTIR. Tory Krug is gone. One of your top puck-moving defensemen. He signed with St. Louis. And now you're in a division where you're with the Caps, the Pens, Flyers, and a New York Rangers team that's looking to make some noise. They're, gonna ha- they're not going to have it easy like they did in the Atlantic Division where, you know, they could probably run around the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, Florida Panthers, Detroit Red Wings, Ottawa Senators. They're not, they don't have easy opponents right now. They got some difficult competition right now. And losing Zdeno Chara just hurts that even more right now. Yeah. Is this, is this the same team? Uh, you know, when you talk about their top three defensemen being Matt Grizzlick, uh, Brandon Carlo and Charlie McAvoy. I mean, yeah. to me, this is not the same team. Yeah, sure, they're still talented uh, throughout the lineup, but like as you mentioned, they're they're going to be starting the year without two of their biggest scorers, mm-hmm. two of their biggest offensive threats, not in the lineup. They're big, big, solid demon. The the thing that was even even as Chara slowly declined, um, his skating ability, whatever, his reach was there, and players still didn't want to throw the puck into his net, opposing yep. or into his corner. Opposing players refused to throw the puck into his corner, and that was this. That was the big thing when Chris Pronger was playing. Was players didn't want to throw it into his corner because they knew that this guy was coming hard and he was a big guy. Yeah, and that was the same with Chara. And now, now you don't have that in your lineup anymore. I mean, Brandon Carlo, yeah, big guy, but he doesn't have the same presence as as a as a Chara does. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see this moving forward. Um, Obviously, I think it's a good, solid depth signing for for the Washington Capitals. Yeah. Um, I do believe that Pierre Luc Dubois. We talked about it previously on this show, where you know where there's smoke, there's usually fire. So for that, for those rumors to surface that there are potential, um, there's potential interest to leave Columbus. Um, obviously, you know that's coming from opposing teams, um, other teams around the league. Are, are, are releasing that information and yeah. maybe it's maybe it's you know just a toy with with Columbus and toy with Dubois but to be honest I wouldn't be surprised I mean we saw a little bit of a fallout between Dubois and Tortorella in during the the playing round last yeah. year um whether that has kind of stuck you know we obviously work we're, we're, we're outsiders so we don't really know mm-hmm. um but 
it is an interesting note. Um, as I mentioned, I do like the signing uh, of uh, Ethan Barron Edmonton. I think that's a, a yes. solid signing. And even though I'm, I bleed blue, I'm a Toronto guy. The Corey Perry signing in Montreal is unbelievable. Yeah. Talk about a veteran gritty presence for a young, small lineup. Um, you know, play a veteran role for a guy like Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Um, mm-hmm. Stick this guy on the second power play unit in front of the net. He is going to find you some offense. And I love that signing. I think I think it's a phenomenal signing. Um, I don't fully agree with some of the some of the articles out there saying that it's better than a Wayne Simmons. Uh, we've talked about it in the past. Mm-hmm. Wayne Simmons was injured <clears throat> over the last year and a bit, uh, so he obviously wasn't playing up to potential. So I think uh, this is going to be a good year to kind of gauge, you know, where Simmons is at versus where Perry's at. So, um, yeah, I, I think. Uh, those were the ones that stood out to me. Obviously, uh, you know, you mentioned Anthony Sorelli. It was time for him to cash in. Three years, short-term deal. I think this is a uh, a contract where he's betting on himself. Um, see what he can do over the three years. Right now, his cap hits four point eight million. Um, you know, and, and after the three years, the cap will rise. Uh, hopefully, uh, depending on where where uh, you know fans in the building are at, but. Um, I think this is a bet on himself contract where in three years he'll be able to cash in again for closer to six, maybe eight million. So that mm-hmm. that'll be something to watch uh, moving forward. And he's only 26 at the end of that contract as well. So yeah. uh, a lot of great signings. Obviously, we met, we ran through all the guys that were signing their entry level deals. Very happy for them. Um, guys like Jarvis, Greg, Reese, um, Stutzla. Uh, all those guys, uh, you know, great opportunity them for for them to to kind of get going here. And uh, another one actually just came over the wire. John Marino in Pittsburgh just signed a six year deal worth twenty six point four million. Ooh. Average cap hit of four point four million. Um, wow. Um, yeah, that's a big one. He just signed for more than Anthony Sorelli. Or just sorry, over, just, yeah. un- just under. Under. Yeah. Just under. So sorry, Sorelli signed 4.8 million cap hit. John Marino 4.4 million for for the 23 year old defenseman. So interesting, interesting news coming over the wire as we get closer this season. Um, but yeah, I, I, going back to Boston, um, I do think it's going to hurt seeing a guy like Char go. Obviously, they're moving towards a younger team. Um, that said, maybe now is a great time to name Patrice Bergeron as your captain. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, is there any other choice other than Patrice Bergeron? No, there really isn't. I mean, I mean, he's uh, when he when he got there, like, obviously, Zdeno Chara, he he was still very young. Zdeno Chara was already like a veteran presence. So obviously, because of his, you know, experience in the league, Zdeno Chara got the captain and Patrice Bergeron had to wait this long to try and get the C. Now that Chara's out. I mean, again, there's no other choice than to give Patrice Bergeron the C. But like you said, they're D. I'm looking at their non-roster D right now or some of their prospects. It's not looking good at all. I mean, they drafted Jakob Zaboro in that 2015 draft where they went 13, 14, 15 with Zaboro, Sineshin, and Jake DeBrusque. 
I don't know if he's the answer. I don't know if Urho Vakanainen, who, you know, is a, is a pretty solid defenseman. I don't know if he's able to, you know, immediately jump in and fill that void. Obviously, these are still young players, but down the line, are they able to replace the impact as Zdeno Chara had? Not really. I mean, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how things pan out in Boston. And, hey, you know what? This is the year to defensemen. Boston can, if they, if things don't go according to plan, Boston can draft a really solid defenseman this year in round one. Hell, even in round two, there's some pretty good defensive names in round two. So they have options at their disposal right now. If they want to rebuild their defense, now's the time to do it. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And going off of captaincy talk, um, the Minnesota Wild also named Jared Spurgeon as their captain for the upcoming season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a solid defenseman who's who's really developed over the years in Minnesota. I think this is a great, uh, great opportunity for him to kind of build off of his leadership. And, uh, you know, obviously we want to see a little bit more of the Minnesota Wild. Um, you know, they've had they've had some tough seasons in the past couple of years. Um, and uh, yeah, I think this will be a good opportunity for him to play that veteran role and maybe uh, maybe help this team get back on track. Yeah, I mean, they're headed in the right direction right now. I mean, as difficult as it was the past few seasons where they weren't where they were kind of like middle of the pack, but like not able to get their the next, uh, you know, the next gear, so to speak, or get to the next level. I mean, we saw how Kevin Fiala managed to, you know, turn his career around and managed to go off in, you know, this season in 2019-20. especially last year when he got traded from the National Predators to the Minnesota Wild. Um, you know, you got Carol Kaprasov coming in. He's expected to be a Rookie of the Year candidate. Um, their back end is pretty deep. And now you got Marco Rossi into this, uh, situ- into this mix. Um, you know, they've got, you got Kalen Addison. You got some good prospects coming up right now. And I believe they drafted Mara Kusnadinov this year. So you know what? Their pipeline, they're in a good spot for building up their prospect system. So that way, in a year or two, when they can come up, they'll be just as competitive. And I think, you know, with Jared Spurgeon right now leading the charge, he's he's put up some very good offensive numbers, good underlying numbers in terms of possession. He's a bit on the smaller side, 5'9", 167. But man, can he play a big game? And he's one of those guys that's basically saying that, you know what? Yeah. That's my that that's what that's what the my height says. But you know what? I play a bigger game than that. And he's taking on a bigger responsibility wearing that C right now. So um, huge congrats to him. Um, really, really looking forward to see Minnesota this year, even though that they are going to be in a tough division again. I think they can make some noise. Absolutely. And uh, talking about big big name players um, or big time players, Mike Hoffman. Uh, signs mm-hmm. of PTO in St. Louis. What do you What do you make of this? Um, I for for me, Peter, it's it's uh, he wants to maybe earn a little bit more than what's available right now. Um, but on top of that, I think he's looking for a team that's able to win, um, but able to put away cap space uh, if when the season starts and maybe sign him to a, a better contract. I, I I don't know. I'm just kind of like I said, I'm I'm on the outside looking in, um, but I just found it interesting that a guy that could easily put up 35 goals signs a PTO. Yeah, this is very unusual. 
and I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I mean, obviously, with Alexander Steen retiring, he's on LTIR. His money or his salary won't count against the cap. Vladimir Tarasenko is on LTIR. His 7.5 won't count against it, but they're 84.5. So trying to do math right in my head right now and obviously i'm struggling i'm like the gears are like rusty in my brain right now and i really can't think in terms of numbers but if they sign him to uh like obviously i'm pretty sure mike hoffman wanted more money than he would have liked to have had because nobody wanted to give him the amount that maybe he was asking for which is why he did the pto this could help them out in terms of trying to like get stay low with the salary cap so that way even if they do sign into a low amount they could move someone else in advance they could possibly move a player like you know oscar sunkvist uh who's already making 2.75 um you know they got david perron he's a he's a bigger contract he's at four million maybe you try and move him because let's face it if you take out david perron and you sign mike hoffman to maybe a 1.5 trying to approve me deal or something like that or try to work around it you send the cheaper deal than david perron i'd rather have mike hoffman who could shoot the puck a little bit more than david perron at this point but yeah i i mean that's just me thinking right now i don't know exactly what the end goal is but it's interesting um obviously elliot freeman when this broke on december 27th he said uh steen going steen and tarasenko going ltir this being uh cap gymnastics i mean where you said a Toronto Maple Leafs doing that. So bringing in Hoffman, who can snipe it on the power play, on the offside, he's capable of 20, 30 goals, 30-plus. 30 I mean, it's a good move for St. Louis, but if anything, why not just sign him to a low-term deal instead of a PTO? Yeah, and I that's what I mean. I, I think I get the... I get the ability for St. Louis to move these contracts onto LTIR when the season gets going um, or, or just before the season gets going rather. Mm -hmm. But I just, I don't think if you're looking for a big contract or, or money, uh, even on a one year deal, I am just not sure St. Louis is the place that you're going to get it. Um, You mentioned that they're going to have to move some, some, uh, some cap around even after the LTIR to give them a, a decent contract. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I think you're going to be looking at moving guys like Sammy Blay or some, somebody like yeah. that, where you really don't want to dig into your youth and your young core to bring in a guy like Mike Hoffman, um, yeah. on a, on like, so that, let's say a one year deal with no guarantee that he's around in two years time. Um, so I, I, that's where I'm a little confused with what, what, like you said, the end game is here. More so on the St. Louis Blues side rather than the the Hoffman side. I get what Hoffman's going for. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows what he's worth. He knows what he deserves. And fair enough. Granted, this is you're in your prime right now. You, this is when you're going to make your money. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're we're at, in a stale cap era at this point in time. Um, but I from the Blues side of things, it just to me it doesn't make sense. That said, yeah. it'll be interesting to watch this develop, see where it goes. And see if you and I are kind of on the same page here in terms of what is expected moving forward mm-hmm. with the Hoffman situation. And just to be clear, the end game is St. Louis wants to sign Mike Hoffman. I mean, they, he fills a void. 
fills a void where, you know, they need some offense with, you know, argu- arguably the best shooter is out in Vladimir Tarasenko. How they get to there, again, I, I think that when I say endgame, I believe I, I'm, I mean the process leading up to it. You know, like I, I, maybe endgame was probably the wrong phrase to use, but like leading up to it, like if he does well in camp, great, he's going to get that contract. If he doesn't, then Mike Kaufman is in a real bad situation right now. Do you just take what you're given and then work your way out of that or what? So, yeah, in, in essence, it's leading up to and the end game that's really going to come down to. And it's going to be really interesting for St. Louis's cases, St. Louis's case, because let's face it. I know we mentioned Tampa, St. Louis. Everyone's saying that the Toronto Maple Leaf is in cap hell right now. They're just slightly over. 81.5 at 82.5 so they're just about you know a million and a bit over these two teams right now are like two million plus right now tampa bay especially so they got a lot of work to do in such a short amount of time yeah absolutely um and you talked a little bit earlier about um a trade that the the lightning made to make room for sorelli's deal um and obviously we're talking a little bit about the cap well the Ottawa Senators have a lot of room to play with, and in doing so, made two deals over the last two weeks that mm-hmm. maybe brought in some extra veteran leadership that uh, they didn't have before. Um, Boxing Day, their deal, they made a, uh, a small trade with the Arizona Coyotes acquiring center Derek Stepan for a 2021 second-round pick. Um, me, personally, I love this deal. Obviously, we saw Ottawa with... Um, some big picks in the first round this past year uh, at the draft. So to, to give up a 2021 second round pick for a guy like Stepan, I personally think it's a great uh, great opportunity for them to add that depth center. Mm-hmm. Um, following that, the next day, they also acquired Cedric Paquette, Braden Coburn, and a 2022 second round pick for Anders Nilsson and Marion Gabrick, a name that you haven't heard probably for quite some time. Um, yeah. But uh, me personally, I think Ottawa really capitalized on both of these deals. Um, for a team that is still so very young, um, they could be quite exciting this year in the Canadian division. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to address the Derek Stepan thing first. I mean, that's a really – it's great to acquire him. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to remember, what was the – in exchange for a second round pick 2021 draft this year. So, yeah. Um, obviously, they already got two second round draft picks in 2021 right now. So, I'm pretty sure they could afford to give it up. Um, I mean, is he the answer? No. But he does provide great veteran leadership. And, you know, they're, they're in a rebuilding team. You need someone to fill the void on that top center line spot. So, he automatically, Derek Stepan, I mean, obviously, he hasn't been what he used to that 50 point guy that we were so fond of that two-way play sort of dipped i mean he had a 28 points 10 goals 18 assists this year or last season in arizona but i think the real one is cedric paquette i mean that deal that to me i i really like that one a lot because it gives him some grit it gives him some you know more finesse up in the lineup physical guy Bottom six can, you know, count for maybe 20 points. That's going to help them out in, a, in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great move. And, and <clears throat> as we mentioned, uh, 
I think both Stepan and Paquette, even Coburn to some extent, add that little bit of veteran leadership. Look, this is a young team. Um, and, and we've seen it with the Leafs over the last few years where they bring in that veteran for the depth role, kind of play, you know, up and down the lineup, give uh, give these young guys an opportunity to learn not just how to be a pro on the ice, but how to be a pro off the ice. And I think that's a great opportunity for guys like Stepan to come in, tail end of their career maybe, and, and uh, get a chance to teach these young guys. Maybe not a chance at a cup, um, but, uh, you know, for a guy like Stepan, come in here for a year see what he can do and see how he can help this club uh, kind of adapt and develop. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you want, I mean, Cedric Paquette has the veteran leadership right now. Um, won a Stanley cup, obviously not in like a major role, but he was uh, really active in the four check grinding it out, making like miserable for the opposition. So um, they want to play gritty. They want to play with that kind of finesse. They've already got some sandpaper already with some players like Nick Paul, uh, Brady Kachuk, Drake Batherson has a bit of an edge to that, to him. So, well, well, obviously I'm not going to expect them to be, you know, the top team in the, in the division. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs again, but this is a good starting point. And you know what? You got to start off somewhere in the rebuild. I mean, the Maple Leafs, they cleaned house. They struggled for one year, got a good pick in Austin Matthews. I mean, they struggled before then, but, you know, you already got a good piece in Tim Stutzler right now. So um, what can 2021 bring in terms of, you know, draft picks? I mean, they got a, a four, five, six, six draft picks this year. So there's still a good amount to try and uh, build up your pool. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, we talked a little bit about some injuries that are going to cause seasons to be a little bit different for certain teams. Um, obviously you mentioned Nikita Kucherov out mm-hmm. for the season after uh, he's, ex- well, he's expected to get hip surgery. Uh, so that's going to be a huge loss for Tampa Bay. Obviously we discussed how it's only a 56 game season, a little bit shortened, a little bit condensed. Um, could we see him possibly back come playoff time? That's something we'll have to keep an eye on. Um, but that's going to be a huge loss for the, uh, the, um, Stanley Cup champs. Uh, obviously, they'll try and repeat without the the likes of Kucherov in the lineup, but it creates a lot of opportunity for other players in the lineup. Um, on top of that, this one hurts. Obviously, the Washington Capitals went out and signed uh, Henrik Lundqvist, the king, yeah. to a one-year deal. Um, he will miss the entirety of the 2020-21 season with... Uh, open heart surgery. So uh, obviously we wish him the best. I guess it's, uh, he mentioned it, it was a condition that he's had uh, his entire life. Um, it's just been the last couple of year, years that it's kind of uh, degraded a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, obviously, you know, big news coming from the King and uh, you know, hopefully he can have this, uh, this procedure done, take a, maybe a year or two off and, and maybe come back and extend his career a little bit. Uh, but that's uh, again, that's something we're going to have to wait and see and, and see how he recovers and see how the surgery goes. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. We all want him to play. We all want him to get that cup, right? He's waited too long. He's paid his dues. He came close, but ended up it just wasn't good enough in the end. <clears throat> but right now, that like this is very serious. Uh, open heart surgery. I mean, he sent out a tweet on the 28th saying like what? He's getting surgery on, like obviously going more in depth. So 
he's it's serious i mean obviously i we wish him nothing but the best a full recovery and hope that he gets back on the ice you know if and when he's able to because i don't know if i obviously i don't want to speculate but if this is the end this is again and i know we mentioned this on the uh previous episode before we went on break this isn't the way that we want to see him go out you know and Again, just I'm I'm trying to be optimistic. I want to be optimistic for him. I hope he comes back. I hope everything goes well with the surgery, and that way, when he does come back, he'll we get to see his name etched in that cup because he deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I know it's not the exact same thing, but this one hits a little bit close to home. Um, my mom a couple years back had uh, heart surgery for a yeah. bicuspid aortic valve. Um, my son, who now is is close to eight months, uh, was also born with a, uh, a uh, by by cuspid aortic valve. So obviously, it's something that uh, we're going to be keeping a close eye on as he yeah. as he grows up. Um, but uh, you know, we wish Lundqvist the best, and and hopefully the king is back on his throne at some point, and mm-hmm. um, you know, leading the charge for for an NHL club uh, once this is all said and done and out of his way. So, um, you know, good luck to him and. Uh, as we as we've mentioned, um, we wish him the best, the very best. Absolutely. That said, let's get into some World Junior talk. Um, obviously, there's this we tournament haven't... going on. Oh, this there, there's this, this small you know? little tournament, you know, <laughs> one that uh, we we know very little about. Yeah. Um, but no, it's uh, it's, Fill me it's in, been, man. Yeah, it's been a hell of a tournament so far. Um. We haven't uh, we haven't been able to have a chance to discuss really the results of the tournament yet, as it's been happening over the past two weeks when we didn't record. Um, that said, there has been there has been a lot of a uh, lot of things going on, and um, we are we're recording one day after quarterfinal Saturday. Um, obviously, yeah. our interview with Stephen Ellis happened on quarterfinal Saturday, right before all the games got underway. Um, which again, you'll hear in a little bit, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's been a heck of a tournament. Uh, we're down to our final four teams. Um, Canada, obviously, you know, there's been a few routes, Canada beating the Germans 16 to two, um, you know, beat the Swiss, the Americans also with a couple of their own routes. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts so far on the tournament, Peter? Kind of like 2020, expect the unexpected. I mean, case in point, Team Germany, we thought they were down and out after that. You know, after they struggled, they played against, you know, Finland in their first game, lost, played Canada back-to-back, so that wasn't easy. But after that, when they got, you know, the players that, you know, were, they got more bodies in the lineup, they put up a fight, and they went into their first-ever quarterfinal, so huge Congratulations to Team Germany, led by Tim Stutzla, J.J. Paterka, and Florian uh, Elias. Um, Two out of the three had 10 points. Elias had nine. All three were important factors for Germany getting to this point. And they gave Russia a really good scare. 2-1 in their quarterfinal matchup. And they they came close to tying it up and actually going the distance maybe over time, a golden goal. I mean, how good would that have been if it was like any of those three, maybe more in particular Tim Stutzla because of the name 
surrounding the importance and how he's now become like a major f- figure in German ice hockey. How good would it have been if he was the one to put the dagger and kick Russia out? Yeah, I mean, it's. I feel like you you said it. You kind of hit it on the on the head when you said expect the unexpected. Like what I, what has kind of hit me this tournament is, you know, I, I look at the a team like the Czechs, where through mm-hmm. the preliminary rounds, just had some really bad showings, and then they beat Russia two nothing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I just didn't understand. Obviously, every team was missing a few of their top end players. You know, Canada lost Kirby Doc in yeah. the uh, in the in the uh, exhibition game, which which really hurt. But man, have you followed Huge. him on Twitter? He mm-hmm. is just he is repping this team like there's no nothing else going on right now in the world. Aww. like that that's all he's talking about. And I love it. I love it. This is this is why this guy was supposed yeah. to be the captain of Canada. And I hope to hell that he gets that gold medal. And I hope to hell that Canada give, gives him one because. This guy is a legitimate team player, a legitimate leader, and man, it it just sucks not to have him in the lineup. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is a. From what I read, he willingly called the Chicago Blackhawks and said, "Listen, I want to go and play." And then, how can you not feel for him for someone who has that much dedication to playing this tournament, to come in play? I mean. Be along, like, be a major, like, uh, length of time away from his family, teammates uh, from the Chicago Blackhawks, because the whole quarantine and bubble situation was lights out in camp, and then he suffers a tournament-ending injury on what seems like an innocent-looking play. It didn't even seem that bad. But when you saw the pain on his face, I mean, you can't help but feel for this guy, man. I mean obviously so many stories, but if you're talking about storylines for Canada, that's the biggest one. I mean, you could also talk about how they got a good run against Slovakia and the Czech Republic, especially yesterday with their quarterfinal games. The loss of Kirby Doc is making a major impact, and you're seeing some players step up in this regard. I mean, obviously Dylan Cousins has, like, took over the reins as being the offensive front runner. Uh, Quentin Byfield is being a major, like, Offense, like not a major offensive force, but he's an aggressive attacker, turning pucks over. Um, Peyton Krebs, another one being an in-your-face net front presence kind of player. Um, there's just so much to like about this team right now. And right now, based on what happened yesterday as the quarterfinals concluded, it's going to be Canada-Russia again in the semifinals. So we're going to have a good good game and another chapter added to the history of Canada versus Russia. Absolutely. And that you know what, that matchup always scares me because you never know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, yesterday in the quarter fi- quarterfinals, we saw, you know, Canada come out and, and, and win three, nothing with an empty netter against the Czech Republic. Um, <clears throat> as I mentioned, a team that really didn't have a successful round Robin um, yeah. aside from the fact that they were able to get into the quarterfinals, but um, you know, they, they were able to beat the Russians too, nothing, <clears throat> but Russia just seems to, to have turned it on in the last little bit. Canada, um, obviously, you know, anytime Canada and Russia play against each other, you're in for a good, you're in for a good, uh, good game. And yeah, 
really, you never know what to expect. Even in the gold medal game last year, Russia was Russia was going to win it. I mean, yep. realistically, Russia was going to win it. Had it not been for TSN's camera, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just, no, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. At any moment that game could turn. That was quite literally a TSN turning point. Literally. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, you, you nailed it. It's just, you know, it's, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. And you mentioned it, uh, this tournament's really had it all. Um, the Germans, I, I, you know, uh, quick little selfless plug here. Um, I'm, I'm writing a little, little piece about how the, this tournament was actually a success for the Germans, whether you like it or not. Uh, they, they got off to such a crazy start with being down so many players and, and, you know, Stutzler playing 30 minutes against the Slovaks, like, it was just an insane tournament for them. And I think, you know, for them to make the quarterfinals, what a great opportunity for some of these young guys to get that that experience on a global stage. Um, you know, especially for a guy like Florian uh, Elias. Um, you know, there's no guarantee that that guy ever makes the show. And if you talk to Corey Pronman, uh, he doesn't think he's going to make make the NHL. Yeah. You know, you, you'll, you'll hear Stephen Ellis talk about it a little bit in our interview you don't really take a two week tournament and, you know, make decisions on that. Yeah. Um, so obviously this is coming from a long extended, you know, look at, at, at Elias. And uh, for me, I, I think he deserves a second look with the way that he played in this tournament, uh, yeah. especially down the bodies that they were like, this is a guy who's fighting to make the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see if he's, he's a guy that could possibly go in the 2022 draft, but um, yeah, just a great tournament for them. The Finns steal one from Sweden. Sweden's streak ends at 50, what was it, 53 games? 54, um, I believe. 54? If I'm not, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a long streak. It was a long yeah. record. But I mean, again, they don't medal. And, and when was the last time they won a gold medal at the World Juniors? Um, 2012. I, I was going to say, I think they have won in the last like 30 or 40 years. Yeah. And not only that, ahead of the tournament, they were down a couple of bodies as well. They're like, even their head coach wasn't able to make the trip because of a positive uh, COVID test. So, yeah, they I were mean, talking about putting Daniel Alfredson behind the bench. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know? that would have been really interesting. And obviously, you know, um, with in regards to team sweden's lineup obviously they would have liked to have a william ekholm or eklund sorry not ekholm uh william eklund who would have been on the team and he had a top drop pa- draft prospect in this year um yeah sweden won 2012 gold medal calgary and edmonton hey uh, i thought history was going to repeat itself for a second there but um yeah down a couple of key players but what really really was interesting or i'm pretty sure not interesting kind of shocked was there was a penalty shot that should have been taken and instead of going with okay they went with victor soderstrom great player but at the same time you have a plethora of options up front to take a penalty shot and i believe it was against russia where they wanted to take a penalty shot and that's where they went with Soderstrom. But you had no Gundler. 
You had Lucas Raymond. You have Alexander Holtz. You had a number of options, Theodore Niederbach, to try and take a penalty shot, and the coach elects to go with his defenseman. That's sort of the decision makings or decisions that's not going to go your way later on in the tournament. And it really didn't pay off for them. And not only that, I before heading into the tournament, I said that Noel Gundler would be a player that could increase his draft stock. And he had four terrific goals, all snipes, all beautiful shots. Um, I don't I don't like to like, you know, boast myself a little, but I was surprised at how well he shot the puck and I knew that he was a good puck shooter, but now this is like evidence that, you know, he's going to be a really great shooter in the NHL. And I think this tournament really helped them in that regard. Again, you really shouldn't make conclusions based on one tournament, but this is going before the world juniors. We know he had a terrific shot. Lucas Raymond. I mean, I guess you could say that he had an okay tournament. And then again, is he going to be a bust now? Yeah, maybe, I don't know, but no, I'm joking. Um, yeah, it's to see some of the names that they have, they still had good depth and they still couldn't punch their ticket to try and win a medal. That's what's really interesting with this. And I think maybe this tournament right now could open up the door for maybe a championship next year, the year after, because they still got some really great pro uh, players coming up in their system, in their development system. And Look out, because if there's a chance there they could redeem themselves, it's going to be in the next few years. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on Elmer Soderblom's in-close uh, move that he seems to score on every opportunity he gets oh, uh, between the legs, top shelf. Um, you know, for a big guy that maybe doesn't skate the best, uh, he's got some sweet hands in close around the net. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I it's been a while since I coached. I mean, I have I, obviously with the pandemic this year, I haven't coached hockey. But you know, we would play or do like you know fun moments and like when we're on the ice before we did like any serious practice. And I try to do it between the legs, and I fell flat on my ass. Like literally, I like I can't even pull that <laughs> off. But um, um, that is high end skill right there. I mean, I I believe he's six eight. Yeah, and he's pulling that move off. Obviously, with the kind of reach that he has with the stick, it, I mean, chances are it may work out. I don't know. I'm I, again not so good with math or like measurements, stick sticks, um, whatever. You know, um, trying to figure out the measurements and all that. But it's worked twice. That should be his go-to move. I mean, uh, Andre Sveshnikov has the lacrosse. <clears throat> Elvis Soderblom has the the tweener in the legs so should we, should we call it the van reams dyke or what Oof. i, I mean I, you know in toronto that used to be his move down down low he he did pull that off we should call that the van reams dyke uh now that we're naming things what are we going to call the good goal sully are we going to call it the matthews or the mirov yeah that's, that's very very true now that very we're true. now that we're on the topic I mean, let's face it, uh, when I saw that man, he's going to fit in well with the Maple Leafs. I'm just going to get it off my chest right now. I mean, that's it. Absolutely. That's my um, Yeah, no, I just I, I, I just thought it was interesting. Uh, something for, the, for fans of the Red Wings to maybe look forward to. Obviously, he remains unsigned by the Red Wings, but uh, sixth round pick in 2019. And uh, for a big guy, he's got some pretty sweet hands down low. 
Um, but you you talked a little bit earlier about Cousins, and uh, I just wanted to quickly mention Dylan Cousins all time at the World Juniors has 22 points in 12 games. Yeah, he currently sits tied for 39th all time at the World Juniors in points. The only active player right now that sits above him is Trevor Zegras, tied in 30th with 24 points in 10 games. So interesting to keep an eye on. Um, Obviously, Cousins is having a hell of a tournament. Zegers is having a hell of a tournament. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see where these guys go. But if you want to know who's leading all time at the World Juniors, Peter Forsberg in 14 games had 42 points. (sighs) Robert Reichel. Next one after that was 40 points. Absolutely. So just, you know, it's something to keep an eye on as we move forward. Obviously, these guys aren't going to hit that mark this year, uh, you know, assuming that, you know, Canada doesn't doesn't have a blowout in the medal rounds. Um, But, you know, sits 20 points back of of Forsberg. But even if he gets, let's say, four points in the next few games, he'll jump into a tie for 16th all time at the World Juniors. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, something to keep an eye on. Um, but, uh, you know, just you mentioned his leadership and the way that he's been able to take on that role since Doc was uh, was injured. And uh, I think this is a great, uh, a great story for a guy for for the Buffalo uh, Sabres pick. Yeah, I mean, if he was a B tie for 16th, he'd be tied with Jordan Eberle, uh, Mikita Filatov, who unfortunately never quite found his groove in the NHL. Evgeny Kuznetsov, Braden Shen, Tevu Teravainen, Henrik Sedin. All great players. I mean, honestly, what can you say about being in that category, right? Um, I I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think next year he becomes a full-time Buffalo Sabre. If they choose to lend him, great. But if he does get loaned next year, honestly, he could even be considered in the top 10 or make that push for the top 10 spot. Um. His speed, his skill, his determination, his shots. I mean, like the way that he broke away from three Finnish players to score an empty net in that game against Finland and uh, to give Canada uh, first place in Group A. Man, that just shows his fight. And he's going to be a really good NHLer. Honestly, I think he's going to be, whether he plays center or wing, I don't know. I think he may be better off as a winger to be honest, but yeah, I'm just like, you look at a top forward for a tournament right now, obviously you can make the argument for Zegers, who's like killing it right now, but Dylan Cousins taking on that responsibility in the absence of Kirby Doc, that just surpasses it in my opinion. Absolutely. Also worth noting that only three Canadians sit in the top 20 in all-time scoring at the World Juniors. Uh, you mentioned yeah. Shen, Eberle, and the leading Canadian to ever to ever play at the World Juniors. 31 points in 21 games. Eric Lindros, former Maple Leaf. Mr. Eric Lindros, yes. Uh, honestly, I, it's funny you brought that up because I completely forgot that he played with the Maple Leafs. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean... Short-lived, short-lived, but uh, he played there. <laughs> Last from the past, man. You know, you know, we're old when we have to say that Eric Lindros was a former Maple Leaf, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, obviously looking forward to the next round of, uh, of games. We mentioned the semifinals now in place uh, for the World Juniors. Both will take place tomorrow. Um, we've got uh, looks like Canada versus Russia at 
four o'clock or six p.m. I believe Eastern. Yeah. Um, and then uh, from there we have the U.S. and the Finns um, playing at uh, nine thirty Eastern. So uh, maybe a couple uh, predictions here. What do you think? I don't like predictions. I'm, I'm kind of like Bob McKenzie. Like I like I like predictions, but at the same time I don't because I don't want to feel like I'm wrong, you know. But you know what? I think it's going to be Canada U.S. Canada U.S. in the final. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's going to be a four-two U.S. win, and I think it's going to be a three-two Canada win. Obviously, it's going to be really close. I'd be shocked if there's a major blowout among, like, four of the five major, like, hockey nations. Because, you know, then again, it is 2020, you know. Who knows? Both U.S. and Canada can, you know, outscore their opponent by a wide margin. Same with Finland and Russia. Anything could happen. I'm just going off base of what I think is going to happen. And I really do think that with Canada's depth right now, it's hard to go against that. And, you know, even with uh, Alex Newhook, I, I, I would hope that he would be able to play in the semifinal match. He missed the game with a bit of a shoulder injury or upper body injury, whatever you want to call it. Um, but then again, you know, because I, I know you mentioned this before, it would be nice if, you know, Rodin and Mirov would go out as a champion, have a gold medal as well. So you're kind of conflicted right there. Um, yeah, those are my predictions. Um, I want to get your thoughts on your predictions, but I also have a question for you when you are done. Absolutely. So I'm going to, I'm going to preface this with saying that I'm very good at being bad at predictions. Um, <laughs> just like <laughs> case in point, look back to my, uh, 2021 draft rankings. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be Canada, us in the final. I think Canada wins four, two with an empty netter. Um, I think they've got to bring a better game than they did against the Czechs if they want to win this game. Russia's a tougher team. I think they play bigger than than the Czechs do. Um, and, and you you spent that game against the Czechs relying heavily on Devin Levi, and I, I don't think you can do that for a second straight game. Yeah. On the other side of things, I think um, the Americans will win 5-3. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 5-3. I think the Finns have a lot of talent i think they play a little bit smaller than some of the teams in this tournament um that said i'm going to give some credit to some of the maple leaf prospects and hopefully they can put up three goals on the u.s um but uh, i i do think it's going to be canada for the gold the u.s for the bronze or sorry for the silver and i do think that russia will win the bronze uh giving three maple leaf prospects a bronze medal at this tournament interesting Interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is, Canada, they seem to, like, tone it back against teams where they know they may not have a good chance against. And despite the Czechs being a Jekyll and high team, they were very dangerous at times. But they still managed to protect the lead, play really good, solid defensively when they needed to. It was just their puck management that really kind of irritated me because it went back to the same thing as it was against Slovakia. Their puck management was just not the best. And if you're going to come out like you did against Finland, against Team Russia, your puck management, your passings, uh, your passes have to connect nonstop. So that, to me, is going to be key for Canada going forward um, in the semifinal matchup and in the final matchup, because the U.S. is still pretty dangerous as well. So 
My question for you. Sorry, I took a long pause there. I had to, you know, clear my my throat a little bit. Um, Who has been the Maple Leaf MVP in terms of prospects this year? You're talking in the world juniors? Juniors, yeah. Uh, Toby Niamela, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I know Ronnie Hervinen came up with that late, uh, late goal against, uh, Sweden in the, in the quarterfinals, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, you know, obviously keeps his team alive, but, uh, Toby Niamela is, uh, arguably having, uh, one of the best runs in terms of, uh, defensemen at the world juniors, um, especially for a team like Finland that maybe hasn't been known for being the most offensive, uh, offensive, uh, team, but. Man, I don't know if you saw the hit that he laid in that uh, that um, quarterfinal game, but just absolutely laid him out at center ice. Uh, I think that was uh, that was probably what you know just put the finishing touch on my my opinion that uh, he's kind of leading the way for for league prospects. Yeah, I mean he's basically put himself in the conversation as best defenseman in the tournament, and. Again, kind of like the Gundler thing. I, I, he was someone that, like, obviously all the attention was going to be on Rodion Amirov. Um, honestly, I really, I was high on Topi Niemela going into this tournament and think that he would increase his draft stock. And right now, man, yeah. I, and I mentioned that we, 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 I mentioned this in the interview with uh, Stephen Ellis. He's increased his impact or his stock overall. And I think the Maple Leafs should be happy with his performance. I mean, like, I it's... I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that, you know, I had I had expectations for Nimella, right? Maybe a couple points here and there. Um, he, I, I believe he spent most of his time on, like, the third pairing coming up in the power play penalty kill and all that. But, man, he exceeded my expectations. The... The breakups in the neutral zone and his own end, the shot selection, the ability to, you know, connect his passes, his hitting. He's a complete package defender that if he puts on a, like a couple more pounds, man, he's exactly what the Maple Leafs needed on the back end. Two goals, five assists in five games, only behind Anton Lundell. And honestly... I I could not be more happy for that selection where, you know, it, it was basically Tyler Clevin for Ronnie Hirvonen and Topi Niemela. That, yeah, to no. me, says it all about their drafting and their scouting department right now. Absolutely. And uh, I don't know if this is too, too far of a stretch, but one more point, and he'll be among the top 25 defensive scoring finish uh, defenseman, I guess, at the World Juniors. One more point. Wow. So it's, I mean, it's just uh, considering how long this tournament's been going on. Like you're talking about going back to the 1950s, and and I mean, you're you're among the top 25 in your nation's uh, offensive defenseman uh, when it comes to this tournament. So definitely, uh, definitely worth noting. Um, a guy that uh, you know, obviously, I'm excited to see in. Toronto's blue and white rather than Finland's blue and white. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a, a great pick by them. I think it, like you said, it just goes to show you what this team's been able to do draft wise and scouting wise. And uh, 
man, this 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 team, this group of management be in Toronto just continues to build the 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 pipeline for for the Maple Leafs. So yeah, hopefully at some point they can put it all together. Um, we obviously know it's a grind. It's one of the hardest trophies to win in sports, and uh, you know we're just looking ahead to see if uh, you know it's something that they can do as uh, as a as a unit at some point in the next few years. Any. Not necessarily like other predictions, because I know we made our picks right now, but any just random out of the blue, like, you know, kind of like Super Bowl, like novelty or like predictions, like what color the Gatorade is going to be or anything, anything that, you know, may happen that you just have a gut feeling is going to happen kind of thing. Not necessarily. I, 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 I kind of hesitated on the, on the U.S. pick, um, because I think I, I would love to to take Finland as, as a team that could potentially overcome a, a powerhouse like the U.S. in the in the semis and, and make it to the gold medal game. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I don't think they have what it takes to steal one from. I mean, this is a strong U.S. team. Yeah, this is a very strong U.S. team. Um, I think I think Cousins puts up another three points in the semifinal game. Interesting. I think he puts up three points. I think uh, I think Canada wins four two, and I think Cousins has three points uh, uh, um, to, against the Russians. If there is any player that would do that, it would probably be Dylan Cousins with the rate that he's going. I mean, I, I two things for me. I think Quentin Byfield is going to score the game winning goal. I know I said three two. I think Quentin Byfield is going to score the game winning goal that puts Canada into the finals. Again, these are just predictions. If you're listening, it ain't going to happen. It, it may happen. It may not. So, um, but one thing I do want to see again is Rodi and Amirov getting a goal taken away and then doing that good goal, Sully, again, man. If he does that again, that's just going to pay an homage to Toronto once again or replicate that maybe he is excited to come to Toronto. So, and also the fact that you know, the Maple Leafs have said, hey, we've seen that Sally before. And there's like all the comparisons of like the good goal. I even made that my Twitter banner because that was just absolutely amazing to see. So I would like to see that again one more time just for like being like, yes, yes, let's see that. Because if that happens again, because let's face it, Austin Matthews has had a lot of goals taken away from him when it should have been a goal. So when he did that Sally against Colorado, you could tell that he was kind of pissed off. Oh, I loved it. I loved that it. Goal, and I- Oh, no, continue, I love seeing Emerov do the same thing. I think it was great. I think it's a, uh, you know, it's a testament to how much how much uh, emotion goes into this game. Yeah. For me, the only difference is when Vasily Pukholzin crashed the net. That was goaltender interference. I mean, I, I understand where he wanted to say, yeah, that's a good goal. The first goal technically wasn't a good goal, but I know where his heart was going. And where his mindset was going. So I would like to see that again one more time. Hopefully. If not, we already saw it once. And I think Leafs, Leafs Nation are ecstatic for what this guy's going to bring. Absolutely. Um, with, with further, Without further ado, I think uh, it's a perfect time to kind of segue into our interview. Mm-hmm. So uh, with that, I want to send it over to Stephen Ellis of the Hockey News. <laughs> All right, folks, we are really excited to have our guest here today, the first of 2021. He's a journalist for the Hockey News, and he's also the producer for the Hockey News podcast, as well as doing content for Line Movement. 
And during the World Juniors, he's well known for his stick figure drawings. And we are absolutely happy and thrilled to have Stephen Ellis on the show. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us and Happy New Year to you. Yes, thanks guys for having me and Happy New Year. Great. Thank you so much. Um, I, I got to start off with the first question, man. Your drawings, I mean, they're an absolute big hit on Twitter and it seems that everyone enjoys them this time of year. Um, what led you to doing those drawings, and did you think that it would garner so much attention online? So first off, no, I didn't. Uh, it was, it was, I, I made them out of spite because TSN was trying to get my Twitter account shut down last year. Uh, they were uh, last year where they they sent a bunch of DMCA complaints, and what, what bothered me was I knew the two people personally that were sending them out, and they they didn't bother to come over and like talk to me about it. Instead, they just like let's get his account banned. And you could see on, on the DMCA complaints what they say about you and your account. And it's like, oh, that bothered me. So after I sent a couple of pretty angry messages to those two individuals, um, one of them being my former roommate who I was actually on good terms with, um, oh, wow. I, uh, no, no longer. Um, he, I, I basically uh, said, screw it. And I drew a photo of Niels Hoglander scoring a, uh, an empty, or the, the lacrosse goal. And I said, Niels Hoglander scored. This is what a, probably kind of looked like and then it kind of <laughs> just went from there and i think that one got like four retweets or something like that and then the next one got more and then it just kept going 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 and uh there's a lot of work to do like it's like i'm still trying to tweet my opinions on the games but I'm also trying to write the game recaps of hockey news so it's like I, i'm not able to like by the third or fourth game of the day especially if there's a lot of blowouts so you kind of get tired of being able to do it but it's like it's yeah. a lot of fun in like a in a close physical game if it's like canada usa and they're playing a physical one and it's great that's awesome uh and uh but if it's like a seven nothing eleven nothing or 16-2 game eventually you just kind of like there's not much you could do and mm -hmm. so but they're fun it's fun to do and uh it's i know there's a lot of other re replay style twitter accounts that have been pretty mad at tsn because of all the uh the things and there's definitely a case to be made on you know fair use being allowed to use it but mm -hmm. uh to me it's not worth fighting it so that's that's where we are yeah i know i, I again i fall in love with them and i enjoy them every single moment of it so yeah they're they're fun i i i, I Basically, a friend of mine from elementary school, he and I used to, like, draw out these, like, funny hockey uh, scenes, basically, in, like, class and, like, English class and stuff when we weren't paying attention back in elementary school. <laughs> and, uh, we, we made them as stupid looking as possible. Like, we'd have, like, like randomly be, like, Brad Lieb and Alex Sugelboff trying to fight off Santa Claus and a few of his reindeer. And it's just, like, <laughs> like just, this, like, things that made no sense. The more random, the better. And then that drawing style just kind of transferred over to this. And, yeah. So I, I just tell people whenever people say, like, oh, like, that's a great drawing. It's like, no, no, no. I'm hiding inside the boards. I'm taking a photo at this rink. You just can't see me. <laughs> so so what you're saying is you're coming out of 2020 right now with something in common with Drew Doughty, uh, being angry at TSN. <laughs> yeah yeah i you know i i'm, I'm glad they're protecting their property i just think what how, the way they're doing it is not the right way mm -hmm. and yeah we're, we're seeing a lot of angry people because of it well it's it i mean the drawings have added an element of you know humor and enjoyment to what's been obviously a tough year for anybody involved in sports um being on the writing side the journalistic side of, of the game and uh, of sports um how tough it is has it been for you guys to kind of you know, take from that 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 break, that hiatus that sports took, and, and jump back into things the way that you're doing it now. 
Well, yeah, it was definitely tough. Like uh, back in in April, I, I was cut from Hockey News for a few months, mm-hmm. and I, d- I wasn't doing much. And I kind of was just for a while. I kind of just took a break from hockey. And I gotta say, it was like as much as everyone likes hockey, and all, we all love hockey and everything. It was nice to have that break. And even though like we were gonna have the off season, it's like it was nice to have that extra recharge and be able to just like you know when it comes back, it's gonna be more special. And it definitely felt that way. So for a while, it was good. Uh, it was nice. When I came back, it was time for the playoffs. So. Um, we were able to to go through that and and uh, do that as planned. It was busy. I, I don't think I had a day off during the playoffs. It was every single day, um, and then it was so, so that was fun. But then then after that, it was just kind of back to the regular off season. And uh, like like for me personally, I I'm probably one of the few people who actually didn't hate 2020. Like I like before before the year went to the way it did. Like I got to meet my favorite band of all time, Green Day, at the NHL All-Star Game. I got to go to the Daytona 500 for NASCAR, which was my all-time dream to be able to do that. I, I got to have lunch with Alexander Ovechkin for a story Matt Larkin was working on. Like, it was a lot of really fun stuff. So, like, that that kind of kept me positive for the whole thing. And I, I got to do some really cool stuff uh, when I was not working. And um, But, you know, it's 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 obviously it, it's a little different this year. But at the same time, we, we just treated it like at least during this off season as a regular off season, we, we covered the stories of like looking what things coming up for the year. We did a lot of prospect stuff. So we didn't necessarily change the approach. It was just like, obviously we just didn't know a lot of what was going to happen later on. So um, that made it harder, but I, I'd say it was still a ton of fun to, to, to have a bit of a break and to kind of make the most of it. And now we're here ready to get back to the NHL season. You just mentioned that you had an eventful 2020 year, um, especially having lunch with Alex Ovechkin. Is he more like what was it like to be with him, um, just being alongside him? And is his personality the same as it is on the ice? He he was very quiet. Uh, that was the game against uh, Ottawa at the beginning of February where he, I can't remember, he he scored. I just don't remember what the, what, like, it wasn't the, the 700, there wasn't the, the, a milestone goal by any chance. I can't remember specifically, but anyways, it was, uh, he was, um, it was a big night there. A lot of people there to watch him and it was really cool to be able to see him beforehand. And Matt Larkin was, was doing a big feature story and I was just kind of there. We get some video and stuff and he was very quiet, laid back. We, we were in a, like a restaurant in a hotel and no one seemed to recognize him, which was kind of cool. No one seemed to bother him. And that was, that was cool. But yeah, that was a, that, that was a fun week because like that was the that was the week after the initial All Star game and it was like we were just traveling and it seemed like nonstop so uh, but that was a lot of fun that's it was cool to meet him because he's a guy like when I when I played hockey I would see him do those one time slap shots uh, mm-hmm. from the left side and that's what I tried to do when I played hockey I missed miss I missed all the time so it didn't really matter <laughs> but uh, that, that that's why I'm writing and he's uh, he's playing but uh, yeah that, that was that was very cool to see that. The blowouts you mentioned earlier um, at the World Juniors, um, there's been a lot of discussion of is the format the right format? Are we, is it detrimental to the tournament as a whole to see those kinds of games? It's it's tough. And um, I, I was always on the side of, you know, like they just being there is such a big thing. Because uh, like, I've talked to guys, like, the, the one that really opened up for me was when Latvia was in the uh, the World Juniors in Toronto and being able to see just the smiles of like their goalie Merrick Smittens and the other players when they were losing like 10 nothing like like all these big scores and they were still happy mm-hmm. to be there they still knew like you know what we're still going to play on the national stage um 
but yeah, you know, from an entertainment standpoint, it is hard to take the round robin very seriously. And that's just kind of any major international tournament that is just simply the case. Um, but like, put it this way, we, we as Canadians put stock on this World Junior Tournament more than anything. Why is the World Junior so much bigger than the under-18s when that's a more competitive tournament mm-hmm. and we, we get to see the players two years earlier? Um, it's there's, there's a lot of it. We just put so much stock into this tournament as this big spectacle. So that is probably why we think that. But on, on the other hand, while it's good for the um, the the exposure for these other countries, it, when Austria is playing a 9.30 uh, p.m. Eastern game, that's not really a lot of exposure back in their home country because everyone's asleep. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's definitely some things where, you know, that exposure argument doesn't work because there's just going to be a lot of cases where the guys are, the, the teams are playing when their their average fans can't see it. So that definitely hurts. In terms of that, I'd honestly almost no, add more teams um, than knock more teams out. Um, because I think it's it, no matter what, it's tough. It's like you, you you take away two teams, and then you're you're not really helping the team's developments because just being in that top group is more important than being in the second group. And we saw it with uh, Great Britain when they made the top division of the World Championships. Yes. It was a huge, huge, huge deal for them. And Hungary, same thing. Mm-hmm. But those tournaments are also in Europe, so it's a lot easier for people to watch that. Um, but obviously, when playing the North America, it's tough. Um, the other people, I've seen other people say, split into like, two groups like the like they do in women's hockey like the top like i don't know six teams in one and the top four and another team uh problem is um i don't think it helps for exposure be, being in the top tournament if you're not playing against the top teams so if you're in austria if you're a germany if you're slovakia like you want to be playing against those top teams because being there will be how you continue to get funding for your hockey for organization and how you keep getting people wanting to play. But more, one of the more important things is, you know, if we're in the top group, the the governments will add more government funding to the teams. And that's what's really important. There's like there's a catch-22 with a lot of teams. I use Greece as an example. Greece actually used to have a hockey rink. Um, it wasn't popular enough. They ended up shutting it down. Because they didn't have a proper-sized rink, they lost their ability to play in WHF tournaments. And their whole thing is like, well, we can't play so we can't we, we don't have a rink but because we don't have a rink we can't play so it's like no matter what we're kind of stuck and for them to be, always be playing a low tournaments we're developing it wasn't worth for the government to keep putting the money in to develop it so yeah you, there, there's definitely a cost thing that that like if, if you're playing the top group you get more funding it's a big deal it, it shows more legitimacy but at the same time, if we're looking at a competition standpoint, it's it's not great to watch a lot of these games. And even on that last day where we thought, oh, these are going to all be great games, and then Canada outplayed Finland like it was nothing. Sweden showed no uh, no real urgency in their game. And, and Austria, we were hoping maybe they would give the Czech Republic the, a tough game. And it was not a good game for Austria. I think the game against Sweden was better. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely some competition disparity. But I just... I. I, I, I don't know if there's a real perfect answer of whether we should cut teams or or even add teams at this point, because either way, there's definitely some big negatives. At least with 10 teams, you, you still got enough teams at the top level to, to keep it a serious tournament. On the flip side of things, um, you know, you, you were talking about like teams trying to be that be that competitive and try and maintain their foot in the top divisions. I mean, we're seeing that with Germany right now. Um, going to their first quarterfinals ever. We saw Slovakia and how they got two rising stars, Simon Nemec and Juraj Slavkovsky. Um, 
obviously, you know, they've been in the tournament longer than a team like Austria, but do you get a sense that there are teams starting to make their mark? And even right now, I, th- I believe there's about a player or two coming up in the NHL draft that um, that represent Japan. So there is sort of that little um, teams or countries are starting to find their footing in the hockey market right now. Yeah, like, like it's tough. Like you mentioned the Japan, Japan and, and mm-hmm. while it's in theory, yeah, they might have a few players, they realistically won't have anyone drafted this year. Um, and part of that is just the, the players they have are just really, really small and just don't have enough skill to kind of make it up. But mm-hmm. um, with with the problem is you got to have a better domestic league for this to for this continue to grow. It's one thing to say, like, oh, yeah, look, we keep playing, make it to the world championships. But if all your players are playing somewhere else and not in your domestic league uh, and you're going to Sweden, you're going to Finland, that doesn't really help them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, Slovakia is a team where you got to wonder, like, are they really making a lot of progress? Um, because of the men's side, they haven't. Um, mm mm-hmm. Men's side, they haven't won a, a medal since they were the one won in 2012, but it's been kind of just they haven't done anything since. Um, and, and they didn't expect to, to get a medal that year. Um, and then we saw in 2015, their the World Junior team made it. But the problem is the Slovakia and the Czech Republic, these guys were once really strong hockey nations, and they're not even close to that now. They're It's exciting when they go out there and get one or two star players as opposed to bringing out Hosa and Gabrik and, and Satan and, and Chara and yeah, to meet you all in a short span so yeah, there's a lot of that where it's like yeah you know what like it's good that we continue to see some good players come from there but they aren't really making strides as a country and mm-hmm. if, if you ha- keep having your players leave that's not good austria is another good example or even japan japan doesn't i did a story on how we're starting to see some japanese players that are looking really good but you talk to coaches from japan they're like this our our, our league is absolutely brutal we we're getting like like high school kids playing against junior kids and there's no true development path. It's like just all the players play in one place basically. And it doesn't work. Uh, Austria is another one where there's like basically all the good players leave to go play somewhere else. Um, and, and, and that doesn't really help your own country. So um, it, there's gotta be some improvements to the quality of hockey domestically before anyone could really see huge Improvement, because right now we're looking at it, and it, there hasn't been many teams that have really improved at a more consistent pace. Switzerland is still Jekyll and Hyde here. Even Finland is a team where, like, we, we see so many good teams, and then other teams that are just not overly impressive. I didn't think they were going to have a good tournament this year. I thought they were going to come fifth place, and now it looks like they're not. Like, there's a chance they might not make it to the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. So it's there. There's definitely some things where you look at some of these countries, and they've made some improvements to a point, but there's got to be more improvement for this to really be a success and i think we're just not there yet but at the same time the bottom teams are not as bad as it used to be like we talk about like there was a 16-2 game this year but there was a time where there would be three 10-1 games in a day and we don't get that anymore and that's that's Mm -hmm. a really nice thing but um it's there's still a lot of work to be done and it's gonna take time but we just i don't know if we've got a a huge backlog of, of, of proof to show like you know there's been a ton of development um uh, improvements over the last 15 years against some of the smaller countries and I, i'd say only some of them have actually gone backwards like belarus obviously slovakia czech republic and some countries have just gone backwards over time there's obviously no no clear-cut solution to that sort of global development um for for certain countries but how much does sh- how or how much should we rely on North America North America to kind of help with that development? Um, 
and I say that because, you know, you saw the CHL kind of put in institute that, uh, you know, Canadian goalie uh, um, rule a couple of years back. And maybe the imports, um, maybe that's something that they have to look at to create more development, to force these players to kind of stay home and, and play at home and build that the, the sport in their their respective countries is that something that could potentially work if if uh you know say leagues in north america were, were to look at that i don't because i think they would still go look for somewhere else to play and it's just because it, it it takes years to get real legitimacy to a league and like if, you, if you're not going to north america you're not playing the chl QMJ, or qmjhl ojl whl you'll just go play in the in Russia, you go play somewhere in Sweden or Finland where they mm-hmm. give the opportunity to see young guys. So, um, there, there will always be better opportunities. And for these guys, they're the real star players. Like their their goal is to make the NHL. Their goal is to make mm-hmm. an impact. They're not going over to Europe if they think they're just going to be doing nothing much. Like they they want to have the best opportunity to play, get goals, be be an impact player. Um, so yeah, like in in theory, it would be great if maybe they did have fewer imports and they forced the guys to go back. But I don't think they would go back to the domestic leagues. They'd find somewhere else to go. Like the Slovak Pro League, playing in that is not a huge accomplishment. Making to the KHL, even if you're playing five minutes a night, like may not be the greatest development move, but it's definitely way more impressive. It definitely will help you as a prospect. So, um, it's it. it I don't. I just don't know if there's like North America could help and say, yeah, you know, we're not going to have as many players here, but again, that, that would, that only works if they stay home and there's enough competition there. Because if you're a, if you're ripping up the Slovak league or the Austrian league at 18 years old, that doesn't really say much. It's like when Liam Kirk was, was doing the, what he was doing over in the, the British pro league, it's like cool, but the competition's not very good. And it, it became very clear even before the draft, he was never a NHL quality player. And, we're starting to see that now. So, um, yeah, it, there's there's definitely some things about it where it's like it, it would be good in theory, but I don't know in practice it would be as success, successful as everyone hopes. It would almost be more of a hindrance to the star players if they were forced to, to play in those leagues, essentially. Yeah, exactly. If you if you got your Slovakia, if you like, if you give the opportunity to him to go play in the OHL or go play in the Slovak men's league, you, like you're you're way more beneficial playing in in the CHL because you just got the ability to to play against better competition on a, on a weekly basis. And a lot of it is just playing on the, against the defense and the goalies. Like you'll, you'll find some good offense up there, but, and, and you want to be challenged by that, but like, then you'll see goalies that just aren't of high quality or defense that just continue to make bad mistakes. And we see, we see it time and time again. So there, there's, it's, it's tough, but again, like there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of hope that we would be able to, to see those leagues really improve, but they just, there's no easy answer when there's just so many different European leagues and there's so many different places to play. Steven, I want to get your take on this. Um, before Canada played Switzerland and Quentin Byfield went out and got six points, there was a quite a bit of controversy online surrounding his production and if he's even really, you know, a top prospect that should have been taken second overall. Um, even though he wasn't putting up the points as much as he'd like to before that game, he was still making a significant impact, being aggressive on the four check, coming back and, you know, creating turnovers. And you notice that there was an improvement from last year where he was what still the youngest on the team to this year, where he's still classified as one of the youngest players on the team. What did you make of that? Uh, because I 
I was just very like confused at that because this is a very, very special player. Yeah, I, when, when it comes to the the internet drama involving prospects, I usually like to stay out of it because a mm-hmm. lot of it's just like, especially at this tournament, it's totally not worth it um, because you, you got so many people that are trying to make informed decisions off of one or two games, and it's not that easy. Um, but you know what? It's I, I put out a big Twitter thread. It's like, oh, no, he didn't get a, many points in a 16-to-do game. Oh, no, the horror. <laughs> when was the last time we saw that? Oh, that game against Lavia where Canada won 16 nothing and Taylor Hall didn't score. It's like how Taylor Hall became an NHL MVP. Not saying yeah. Quitsa Byfield is going to be Taylor Hall, but I'm just saying, like, they, we got to really put this in perspective. It was one game, and people say, oh, well, you didn't play a good against Russia. Well, Andre Tourney seemed to love him because when we asked him after the game, who was the players that stood out? And the one name he mentioned was Quinton Byfield. Mm-hmm. And uh, Byfield was a guy he continued to mention that much he loved in. in in training camp and i know a lot of people said like he wasn't like i I put him originally as a third line center on my team i picked in october and people are saying no 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 he's playing first line no question it's like no i don't know if that's where his role will fit and we're seeing him play in the third role or third line and his role really works because you can't match up against quits at byfield if he's your third line center if you're pretty much any other team that's why i didn't want him higher in the lineup i thought You've got the older guys in the higher, uh, the guys with more development up the higher. Let them play there, but put him on the third line, and he's going to go out there and be the best third line center in this entire tournament. And he's proving that outside of that six point game, because people are saying, "Oh, look, you just did it against Switzerland." It's like, well, you take his points out, and it's not a blowout. And mm-hmm. maybe someone else takes over, but maybe not. And if if you get so many points in that game, you take those out. It 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 pulls a bit more context Quinton Byfield is way more than a goal scorer and like his shot like is not one of his better qualities and he's a big time goal scorer so like that's a that's something about his game he's added that physical edge he's he's stronger he's 10 pounds heavier than he was a year ago and you can see in the way he hits players now he hits kind of like I do in NHL 21 just hit to crush instead of hit to <laughs> it just necessarily separate the puck but um but yeah, like it's we see a guy who's really good defensively, very strong um, on the physical game now, and you add that to a guy who who just needed his confidence last year. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he necessarily played bad. It was just again he didn't really get a chance out of the gate. He was playing limited minutes as him and Dawson Mercer were switching between thirteenth player and didn't yeah. even get a chance to play in that final game. So there there was that. But at the same time. People would use the the thing of like, oh, well, let's just Lafreniere. Look how he's performing. Well, Lafreniere, that was the second tournament, and he's mm-hmm. he's it, 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 on the calendar. He's a year older, so he had that extra development year in the key MJHL by the time he he went there. So Lafreniere was not in a a, a diff, like not a normal situation there. So um, yeah, I, I gotta say, like, it, I wasn't worried about Byfield's play at all. I thought he was great against Slovakia. I thought he was the best player on the ice. Mm-hmm. But it, the problem is, is people say, like, oh, he's not scoring goals. And then they kind of just miss his impact elsewhere. And, again, that's just a problem. So I, I, I was not going in to interject there, but there was just a lot of people that I really respected that were also really against how he played in one blowout game where it didn't matter after the first period. Yeah. Where I'm like, okay, no, no, no. I, I That's a little ridiculous here. I just want to point out that you just mentioned Alexei Lafreniere. I mean, being in his second tournament last year, the year before, he only had one goal. And I don't remember hearing the kind of, you know, comments that were being made about Byfield than there were for Lafreniere after that tournament where they, I believe they finished, where they lost to the quarterfinals. Yeah, there, there was definitely a lot of, there was people that were really like, like against the performance, but they were like, oh, well, you know, he was 
this many years old. He was young. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so then where, like, people didn't say that about Byfield. And I think I remember people who were like, should Byfield drop the rankings because of slow world juniors? And, and and that's why I get annoyed about this tournament sometimes where yeah. it's like, no, 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 he doesn't drop because of the world juniors. And you, you talk to scouts and they're like, that they forgot he even played in the juniors and they didn't take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? Fine. It, it, I, I was at every single day of that training camp. I thought Byfield was one of the best players out there. But that was because yeah. he was playing first line. He had the opportunity to play a role he was used to. Then he got shifted to bottom line winger. And all of a sudden, he was no longer playing the role he was used to. And he just needed the confidence. And it's, again, now he's confident. He played really well. I thought he he, he had a, a good, but more, again, more of a quiet game against Finland. He doesn't need to be the the man every single night. That's not him. He's just like he's just a very talented player. I don't think he's like some people have said superstar. I don't think that's that's true. Superstars. There's not many in the NHL for a reason because it's supposed to be a, a, a like an elite group to be a part of. But mm-hmm. I still think he'll be a star player. Where like the one guy that he almost starts to remind me of is kind of like an early days Eric Stahl. Well, if he turns up to an early days Eric Stahl, that's not a bad player. Uh, and there's there's other good good uh, like guys to compare him to, but I think if you can get him to be a quality player like that, like that's that's fine. So uh, I I'm not worried about his performance in a two week tournament. I'm not worried about anyone's performance in a two week tournament uh, in terms of from a scouting perspective. So we we know what he could do with Sudbury. Sudbury I believe was like one six and one last year when when he was gone at the World Juniors. It's like when he's there it's there's an impact and mm-hmm. even if you don't necessarily notice it on the score sheet he'll find a way to make an impact we saw the other night uh sweden's preliminary round streak come to an end uh in an overtime loss to russia um is is that kind of good for them in a sense because they kind of get away from this idea of of uh trying to maintain the streak and can focus more on the medal rounds obviously we haven't seen that that success in the medal rounds uh, during this during this streak. So is it something good for for Team Sweden to kind of focus on something else? Well, well, from talking to to like Swedes this year and hearing from what they're saying, it's like in reality, like it's 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 a new team each year. So like the guys that uh, are playing now were like four or five years old when the streak began, type thing. So um, a lot of them won't take it like. They, they don't put too much stock into this, into it, but now they don't have to keep hearing about it every game. So maybe they can go back and say, okay, now that pressure's off. was kind of hoping they would go out and perform a bit better against the, the Americans, though, but those two bad goals really seemed to sunk them, and that was mm-hmm. not what they needed. So uh, I, it will definitely help them from a, a mindset perspective. Like, obviously, like I said there, I, I don't necessarily think it's, like, a huge... It was a huge thing on their mind, but now they don't have to think about it at all. Um, so they can go back to playing their game, but it's going to be tough because the Swedes haven't looked good. And I said before the tournament, like I, I'd almost feel bad for them this year because their streak was going to probably end simply because they just were missing a few of their key players. But uh, you know what? I the, the two guys that I was really this team were the Terror Twins, Alex Holtz and Lucas St. Raymond, and. They've been good at points, but not really like blowing up the tournament like I expected there. So um, maybe next year when they're when they're a year older and they're two of the better wingers in the tournament again. But uh, I was kind of expecting a bit more. Um, and obviously we got to worry about Philip Roberg. Like this is a guy that looks like he's just using spare parts to keep playing at this point. He's mm-hmm. been hit, hit quite a lot, and he's he's not playing at the full. Like he was my pick originally before the tournament began to be the the tournament MVP, and he just 
hasn't been. So um, it's part of that is because he's definitely playing hurt. We, we, they won't admit it and they need him to keep playing, but he's been playing hurt in this tournament for sure. And um, that's, that's tough. But for Sweden, I think getting that monkey off their back will at least give them a chance to kind of really get back to focusing and, and, and try to play better. But, they don't have a lot of time to to mess around here. They they got to win their next game. You just mentioned Philip Broberg as potentially being, you know, one of the MVPs of the tournament. I even have him as like one of the top defensemen, considering that this is, I believe, his third tournament. Um, jumping to the Maple Leafs very quickly. I know they got a f- quite a few bit of prospects. Rory Namirov is having a really good tournament so far. But one player that's... I mentioned that people should take notice of and has kind of surpassed my expectations as like, and he's possibly being or is one of the best defensemen in the tournament right now is Topi Nimela on Finland. And I know it's early to say right now, but do the Maple Leafs have something special with him? And what does it say to their scouting department right now that, you know, they're, they're going over to the European side and getting more information on them. Well, the one thing that was really good was it seems like the the Leafs just drafted Team Finland this year, and that's never a bad <laughs> thing, especially later in the draft as it goes on. Like, go pick in Finland and Sweden. You're probably going to get someone good. And Topi Nimala mm-hmm. was one where I actually indicated as a guy like, you know, he was more like third or fourth on my list of best defensemen in this tournament. I thought he was, like, every time I see him play internationally, he just turns it up. Like, mm-hmm. like his performance up last year, U18 and U20 level, I thought he was outstanding. And uh, some at the world under 17s back in 2018. And he was one of the better players out there, even though his stats didn't really indicate that. But uh, he's a guy that's really started to improve his his overall game. He used to be a turnover machine, and now he's creating turnovers. He's he's doing that. He's very uh, – he'll be intensive on the forecheck. He's got a really good shot. Uh he doesn't hesitate to shoot when he gets the opportunity. And we're seeing that in the tournament. Like, yeah, he's got out there and he's got, I believe, seven points in four games. But it's he, he's so, so smooth in his own zone. He's not making mistakes, not giving the puck over up. He's uh, There's not a lot of shots on the ice when he's there uh, in a negative sense. Like, they always seem to be going uh, towards the other net. So uh, he's having a very good tournament. Um even though it wasn't necessarily the greatest game against Team Canada, like he, I wouldn't blame him on that one. So uh, mm-hmm. he's, I, I do get to vote this year mm-hmm. in the World Junior um, uh, All Star Team and the top awards, and I do think that he will be, at least if I had to choose now, he's my pick for top defenseman, and that's a good sign for Leafs because again, third round pick, and he's out there. Uh, yeah, that's why you don't throw those picks away. There's still some value to be had. Stephen, we we uh, see how important the bubble is uh, these days with everything going on. Um, just released by the tournament that there are no new COVID uh, positive tests. How important is it for the not only the tournament but just sports in general to see that this can be accomplished um, so long as we follow we're following proper protocols. Yeah, that was a thing that Hockey Canada was really trying to point out. When they had those positive cases over in Red Deer, the first thing they said is, we're not concerned about the tournament happening because that's going to be a much more strict lockdown. It seemed like they were was not totally super strict in Red Deer, and it was more like laid back for the players, but like still, yeah, you still have to follow the protocols. Uh, there were players that entered with covid and that's what ended up happening it was just kind of a later detection and uh like obviously we saw those cases on germany and sweden to start the tournament but those were also the teams that were impacted the most by covid before they left and had positive cases so it looks like there were maybe some late detection situations where some players did travel over and had it and they weren't aware because they was caught right after they arrived 
and they were able to quarantine and get that all done. But uh, it's good that throughout the tournament they haven't had any more cases. And um, the, the one thing the, the players in the NHL will tell you, there was no safer place to be than the bubble. Uh, when they were out there in Everton and Toronto, and now they're they're doing it again, and it's there, there's even fewer people involved in making this all work. So uh, other than the roster being just a little bit bigger, so it's been a big success. It's been good at that, and um, it's it's a shame we we couldn't get the fans there obviously this year, but I'm, I'm glad that they're running it as safely as possible. And the next year we could focus on how expensive the tickets are uh, instead of <laughs> when are we going to get fans back. It'll be a nice change, I guess. But um, yeah, it, it's it's very good for the WHF because they were getting criticized early because of how they were handling it. But it's like they they were confident from the start that once everyone's in the bubble, they'll have it. And so far we've seen uh, no no real positive cases since they uh, they got things all locked down. Yeah, kind of similar situation with the NHL where players were testing positive before they got into the bubble. And uh, TSN's Bob McKenzie said that that was going to be the main challenge was players getting into the bubble. So that way that they can quarantine and everything. And I was probably one of the more pessimistic. I wanted the tournament to happen, but I was getting a little bit pessimistic with all these positive tests arising before they even got into the bubble, before jumping the gun because of how severe this is. Um, Obviously, like that is good news, but uh, trying to like predicting the future right now do you get a sense that maybe next year we could see fans in a in a stadium watching these tournaments again well yeah again like hopefully i i'm hoping we're back in this next year and hopefully we're all thinking about how to make that work again and um there's you don't make a ton of money in these tournaments so they need fans and Mm -hmm. obviously like nhl teams like the leafs aren't exactly going to struggle if they go a year or two without fans and obviously they'll probably go cut some people and that would be really really disappointing obviously for the uh, for the people impacted but uh and the international tournaments like a lot of the bill is is up for hockey canada putting it up again this is if hockey canada tsn didn't make the big deal this tournament is we wouldn't be talking about it in the way it is um the spangler cup i think i I almost prefer the spangler cup to the world juniors but like you wouldn't even know it's on half the time in canada um Mm -hmm. or know who who's actually playing in the games um i I do think that we're going to be back in this tournament next year but again like who knows at this point i remember when the toronto indie and i was supposed to i I cover in the summer i covered the whole nascar pinty season series and i was looking forward to the toronto indie because i could see the track from my apartment i'm thinking oh finally i could be there really close and I remember when it was like, can't, uh, it was postponed in July. Oh, okay, we'll just put it in August. And that was an actual line of thinking back then. And then now it's like, oh, something canceled? Well, maybe next year, maybe two years from now. So I, I am. I, I hope that with the vaccines and everything, if, if, if most of Canada's and most of the world has kind of gotten their vaccines by like the summer, then we could focus on getting this tournament back on track. Because you know what, the, it's, this tournament means a lot to a lot of people. And it'd be nice to get back to some normalcy and, and seeing the ranks and uh, they'll be split into two ranks and back in Red Deer and Edmonton. And again, hopefully that works out. And it, again, if they jack the prices up, like we've seen in Toronto or Buffalo, then we're not going to have to worry about any uh, uh, social distancing guidelines then, because mm-hmm. I think we'll still have a lot of empty seats to worry about, but um, at least, you know, it'd be nice to, to get back to some normalcy. Yeah. So I, I, I'm hopeful. I was, I, I was definitely a little concerned about this tournament in like two weeks before about this one happening. Um, but once the players got in the bubble, it's like, okay, you can breathe now. They're not going to send these guys home. We're going to have a tournament. And here we are. We don't want to keep you much longer, but uh, we're recording on quarterfinal day um, just before the uh, 
the quarterfinals take place. Any predictions for these four games going forward? Uh, well, I predict Germany is going to destroy Russia six. No, I'm going to pick Russia for that. Game. <laughs> um, I I, I want to whenever I I'm, can't de- decide if I want one of the teams to win in terms of like skill. I think I got to go with my pre-tournament predictions, and I got to go with Sweden over Finland. Uh, Canada thinks going to beat the Czech Republic, and USA is going to beat Slovakia. After that, it gets a bit more complicated. But my original tournament picks were Canada first, Russia second, USA third, Sweden fourth, Finland fifth, and that could still happen at this point. Well, Stephen, uh, again, I want to thank you for coming on. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, you're our first Oakvillian uh, alongside myself. So, uh, you know, that's always that's always nice to, to call out. Shout out to back home. Um, yeah, I'm, but, I'm, I'm uh, there right now. I'm, I'm, I'm home right now. Oh, yeah. Since uh, December 13th, heading back to Toronto after this tournament. But it's been fun getting to watch uh, all the games with my parents. They love the World Juniors as much as I do. So it's fun to be able to spend that time as opposed to sitting by myself in my apartment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again for coming on, Stephen, and uh, we wish you the best. Uh, great coverage. Continue the drawings, and uh, hopefully we can get you back on at some point down the road. Hopefully sure. hopefully we're at a point where we can talk about NHL hockey again and have fun with that. And I'm, I'm excited for us. Once this is over, I'm excited for the fact that we're about to start an NHL season again. Absolutely, yeah. Same here. Um, I mean, obviously we have the World Juniors, but the NHL season is coming up, and we're already we're already gearing up. We're already gearing up. Uh, as, as bad as this, uh, as bad as the year has been, there's one thing to look forward to, and that's always hockey. So that's always the bright side. Yeah, I'm I'm tired of telling people when they say hockey's back. It's like, well, you know, there's been hockey all this time. I could finally go back <laughs> to saying, you know what? Yeah, sure. Hockey's back. NHL is good. Let's, do, let's have fun. Let's get back to worrying about the, the training camp drama after two days. That's way more fun. Absolutely. The lineup projections are going to be interesting, to say the least. Yeah, Nylander to the AHL, you know, all, all, the, all the great <laughs> tweets we expect every year. And, like, that's when we're back to normal. For sure. Anyway, awesome. Steven, again, thank you so much. Um Again, we really thank you for coming on again. And uh, again, happy new year and all the best in 2021, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. Stay safe. Well, Peter, what a fantastic interview. Uh, Obviously, one of our longer ones, um, but uh, so much information. And Steven's a great follow, as you mentioned earlier in the show. If you get a chance, jump on Twitter, follow this guy. He's got fantastic stick people drawings that he's doing throughout the World Juniors. Yes. Uh, something he started last year, uh, you know, just to create a little bit of humor and it, and it's really added to, you know, a stale year in 2020. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely a, a guy that, uh, has covered, covered prospects and covered the world juniors to, uh, to a great extent. And, um, man, I, I really am interested to see if, uh, you know, the development globally of hockey can, can create a little bit more competition, uh, down the road. Yeah, I mean, and, and that and that was the main thing. I mean, he brought up some really interesting points with that, and there is a foundation for it. There's a framework, and if other, I mean, if many other countries are willing to follow suit and put invest the time into helping these other countries develop their prospects properly, so that way they could be a Tim Stutzla, they could be a. Um, Simon Nemich or Uri Slavkovsky, where they have their own, because let's face it, there there are some really great Slovak players that could probably make an impact in making Slovak hockey even better. Everywhere across the world, that can happen. It's, you, 
you got invested. And I think other not, not only that, I think other countries should help out in that regard to help them get their foot off the ground in that aspect. And again, Stephen brought up some really, really great points um, about the growth of the game, about the tournament itself. And obviously a really funny guy, really funny guy. Absolutely. And shout out to like global governments, like put the money into the sport. Like Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, if you're not watching this tournament and seeing the impact that this has on not only the players, but people around the world that watch this game, like, man, when they put up the video of all these fans from different countries watching the game, like people are interested in watching it. Yeah. Go out there and spend the money. I mean, it's not going to be that much when it's all said and done. Go out there and spend the money. Yeah. Um, but great points, as you mentioned by Steven, um, you know, jumping off of the hockey news for a second, I do want to mention, um, look, I have people that I follow on Twitter and I have some people that I just refuse to follow because I don't like their takes on certain things in terms of sports. Mm-hmm. The hockey news is Ken Campbell. I just, he's like, he's like, a second coming to Steve Simmons where, you know what? I'll agree with certain things that you have to say, but man, I just, I felt like I had, I had an interesting interaction. You and I spoke about this earlier. We spoke about this yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, But for those of you that didn't see it, um, I felt like he was calling out the Austrian players saying that at least they got to play mini sticks in the hallway of the hotel and swim in the hotel pool. But they, all in all, they were basically sent to this tournament as, as you know, lambs to be slaughtered. And he did clarify it with me afterwards. But I, I retweeted this comment that he made, and I just, I mentioned how this tournament is an opportunity for countries like Austria, where maybe hockey isn't as prevalent, to expose their countrymen to the game and for me so what if they played mini sticks in the hallway and swam in the in the hotel pool and got blown out 11 nothing the next day so what the smile on their faces when they play the game the the opportunity to play on a global international stage to possibly go back to austria and and help develop the game because now they've got kids that want to be the next Marco Rossi. Mm-hmm. To me, yeah. who gives a shit if they played that that hockey, the mini sticks in the in the hallway? The system is not broken at the World Juniors. Are there powerhouses? Absolutely. For how many years in women's hockey did Canada and U.S. dominate the game? Still to this day, it's dominated by Canadians and the, the Americans. That's the way that women's hockey is at this point in time. Are, are, are the Scandinavian countries getting better? Absolutely. But they're not even close to being competitive with Canada and the U.S. at this point in time. That comes with time. Yeah. That's why we have relegation. Mm-hmm. For how many years was Germany absolute garbage at the at the world juniors how many times did they get blown out still they lost 16 to 2 made the quarterfinals and gave the russians a run for their money losing two to one at a certain point these teams are going to get better yeah why not 
appreciate the system, appreciate the fact that teams like Austria are able to play on a global stage instead of criticizing and crucifying the world juniors. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I, I, of- I, I, I digress. Yeah, no, I, no, no, no. I, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, I, I, a lot of people on Twitter have been subtly saying, you know, you know, so what? Like, it's it, like you mentioned, it's exposure, it's growth of the game. And a lot of people are just saying, you know what? The tournament format is fine with the relegation and everything. Because it also, with relegation, like, yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow. But then again, you're going up against the top nations in the top division, in the top group. So if you're relegated, you have the other tournament to say, hey, maybe this could be our time right now. Maybe this could be our chance to try and put our name into the basket and be one of the top contenders, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, is there always room for improvement? Maybe, but I think it's fine the way it is right now. Yeah. I'm not like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not hard to watch. Like I was sitting there watching the, the Canada Germany game and mm-hmm. I just, I had my hand, my head in my hands. Cause every goal, I just was like, Oh my God. Like I, I, I don't want to see a team get beat up 16 to two in a hockey yeah. game. Okay. We're not talking about football here. Yeah. That said, that said, I think these – I mean, did Germany not come back and, and come back stronger? Yes, they got some of their players back, but Stutzla went out and played 30 minutes the next game because mm-hmm. he was refusing to lose. He wanted to learn from what the experience he got. Man, these kids from Austria, they're going to go home, and they're going to they're gonna be able to come back to the tournament better than how they left it. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be teams that are not as good as the, the leaders of the pack. I just – I, you know, I, I think the the comment that got me was the mini sticks in the pool. And I just said, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what? These kids had a good time. In 2020, who gives a shit if they were playing mini sticks in the hallway? Let them yeah. have a good time. I mean, this could be their moment. This could be the only opportunity that maybe, hey, you know, yeah, again, but the powerhouses. But this is a great opportunity for them. And they're going to remember it for a lifetime. This I, I like like you said with Florian Ellis, this could be his only chance, you know. And you know what? It's I'm just gonna leave it at that. The good point, it the good thing about all of this is, I believe there's no relegation. No teams are being relegated, so you're gonna see Germany and Austria back next year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I just something I need to get off my chest. Uh, you know, we've had these interactions mm-hmm. with some guys on Twitter. I, you know, I, I always, I'll, if you follow me, you'll see me call out Ken Campbell and Steve Simmons all the time. Yeah. I just, even, even Mike Milbury, um, you know, I just, those, <laughs> those are my three targeted guys, I guess. I, I don't know. I just don't agree with a lot of their opinions, but yeah. Hey, that's why I have this podcast. That's why we, we do this on a weekly For basis sure. so we can. We can share our opinions, whether you like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> our show, you know? Absolutely. Our show, our way, um, you know, saying what we want to say. Yeah. So there's our there's our new tagline for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, like I said, great interview. Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, other, other league news, obviously the OHL has pushed back their start date. Uh, we've seen Brant and Graham Clark head over to Europe in response. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, 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 it'll be interesting to see how this draft goes with not getting the same kind of coverage from other leagues. Yeah. 
and the fact that you know there's still players that are playing junior in the juniors right now who still don't have you know they don't have their home to call their home right now you know so again 2020 well hopefully 2021 could be a little bit better hopefully that things could come around you know absolutely and uh I don't know, Peter, another great week. Uh, do you have anything upcoming at the Hockey Writers? Um, probably wrapping up some of the World Junior coverage. Ma- uh, our Maple Leaf mock roundtable kind of pro- roster projection is going to be coming out soon. I know that took a bit of a back burner because of the World Juniors and everything, but that is on its way out. Uh, how about you, Andrew? Well, I've got my Keeper League Fantasy Draft coming up hopefully soon. I've got the draft lottery going down probably today. So I'm sitting in a a lottery spot, uh, as I have for the last five years in my rebuild. (laughs) Uh, But uh, no, aside from that, like I mentioned, I'm working on uh, a piece about how, you know, this tournament was a success Mm -hmm. for Germany. Um, I'm hopefully going to be getting a Maple Leafs mailbag out there before the season starts. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see the puck drop. I've got my Joe Thor- Thornton Jersey, uh, that, uh, <laughs> my wife kindly wrapped up for Christmas for me and, uh, hopefully getting the little guy, his own Jersey quite soon. Hopefully it's a Joe Thornton one. Absolutely. Maybe he'll be my <laughs> Mitch Martyr to my Joe Thornton. Hey, there you go. Already planning <laughs> ahead, man. There you go. There you go. There's our Halloween costumes. <laughs> oh, you got the beard. So you just yeah. got to. Just got to die the center a little bit, you know? Absolutely. I don't know. The gray's coming in pretty strong now that I'm a parent, <laughs> but. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. Anyways, uh, guys, stay safe. Obviously, follow the podcast on Twitter. Hit subscribe. Leave us some reviews. Um, like I said before, we want to get content rolling for you guys. Hopefully, we can do it the right way. Um, and, uh, yeah, another week in the books, episode 21. We look forward to talking to you guys next week. Stay safe. Have a good one, guys. Happy 2021.